the complexity inside the industry, inside the state, inside the counties. And there's rules that are different county by county. There's rules that are different inside of a city that's inside of a county that's inside of a state. And, and depending on where you're at, any of those three, the rules are different. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Michael Johnson, CEO of Metrics. Michael, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I uh, appreciate the time. Doing well. Thank you guys for, uh, for having me on. Excited to talk to you today. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Really excited to talk to Michael. Really excited to talk about Metric. And uh, really excited to try to hold the West Coast down over here. Yeah, I think that's right. So, Michael, just for the record, your location, please. Uh, we're in Lakeland, Florida, which is uh, a very, very uh, kind of uh, a place where all the Florida man stories come from uh, in between Tampa and Orlando. Uh, it's kind of where the business was founded and, and um, where our founders from and set down roots here uh, one way, shape or form 30 years ago. I love it. So let the record state another East Coaster, Kellen. So Michael, for our listeners that aren't familiar with you, can you give it a little background about yourself? So I've been a part of Metric here for almost two years. Before that, I advised Metric a little bit. Uh, I grew up mostly on the finance side of the technology world, um, working for a variety of software companies and trying to help folks, um, help businesses grow, rapid growth businesses, businesses that need to kind of be rethought a little bit. Um, and was very fortunate to come across some folks here at Metric, kind of had a, an interesting introduction, got to know them a little bit better got to see kind of where we're at. Hopefully, we'll continue to see us make a, a, a strong transition from being sort of this government-focused black box into something that um, we think is a little bit more uh, representative of the entire legal ecosystem and in, in trying to support uh, the growth of cannabis and support of cannabis in a way that protects public health and uh, maintains uh, the level of compliance and sophistication necessary for a really, really complex supply chain ecosystem. It certainly is. For our listeners that may be just unfamiliar with Metric, can you give a high-level overview of like the, the role Metric plays in cannabis today? Absolutely. Metric is currently the system of record for 23 uh, states and jurisdictions. So we're in Washington, D.C. and Guam, in addition to 21 states. Uh, everything that happens in the cannabis supply chain, what we refer to as uh, from seed to sale, uses what we refer to as the track and trace system. Um, and that allows uh, state regulators and folks that participate in the ecosystem to have uh, really strong visibility into the data uh, and into all of the events that happen in a cannabis life cycle from seed or more, more commonly from clone all the way to retail sale and kind of everything along the way. It's beautiful. So just to give more context, it is a software program, correct? It is. We are a software company. Uh, we do facilitate uh, the identification of both plants and packages uh, using a globally unique 16-character identifier that does have uh, hex ID encryption functionality in it. Uh, we're frequently associated with the RFID chip that is within our uh, our identifiers. Uh, we we do use RFID because it is the absolute most efficient and effective uh, kind of element for identification, especially for passive identification and data collection in the supply chain. There's a reason why uh, last year Walmart mandated it across the board for everything in their supply chain. Uh, provides tremendous visibility, much more cost savings when, when used, um, and certainly a much more robust supply chain and greater visibility for both the, the, the growers, uh, the consumers, and, and for regulatory agencies, and I guess really anybody in the supply chain. So metric is kind of a cornerstone pillar of 
cannabis as we know it today, right? And can you like kind of walk us through why a track and trace system is paramount to the cannabis industry even being adopted in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of folks that you know are are tried and true, like love cannabis, love everything about it. And there's a lot of folks that aren't, right? Yeah. And and that that balance is is a lot closer to a balance than than a uh, you know than a ninety ten kind of a thing. And so for folks to get comfortable uh, with the legal legal market, um, especially given that it's a fairly nascent industry, you know, not much more than ten years old, it's really important to make sure that you're you're kind of covering all the bases. Uh, to help folks that maybe aren't super comfortable with cannabis. And you're seeing a lot of that right now in New York as they work through the, some of the issues and some of the challenges with getting their program off the ground. And then, of course, you've got a lot of folks that have that have that love cannabis and they want to make sure it works out well. But they want to protect public health and they want to protect the um, you know the consumer and they want to make sure that we're building something that's lasting, that um, is, is destigmatized and has value. Uh, certainly much more beyond just kind of what you're seeing in in your own neighborhood something that can be um, that can that can be uh, have a lot more staying power and um, really become something that's ubiquitous throughout the United States and, and increasingly in other parts of the world like Europe so that puts your team in kind of a unique spot right your customers versus your clients are kind of relatively different than I think most of the industry thinks about right for example your customers might be the state governments that are kind of uh, working with metric where your clients are the users of the the operators. Can you kind of expand on that? Yeah, it's it's a really weird dynamic, to be honest. And I've never been a part of anything like that. And, and I've, I've definitely met some folks that have similar experiences, but nothing quite like what we've got here in cannabis. And it seems like that's um, fairly consistent, regardless of where you're at in the cannabis ecosystem and what state you're in, because that's obviously very different too. Um, so our customers is, is the government and uh, usually the state. Now, that's been the focus of metric for you know a decade. Um, but the reality is that there's 360,000 average active users in metric at any given, uh, in any given month. And only about 1,000 of those are regulators or uh, folks that, that participate in the government, sometimes on the tax side, uh, sometimes public health side, all, all different angles from the government. So the vast, vast, vast majority of the folks that are working inside of metric are license holders, they're growers, they're distributors, transporters, um, you know, they own dispensaries. And so even though they're not our actual customer, the viewpoint uh, needs to be, and it's certainly transformed in metric that, that they are, that anybody in the ecosystem, anybody that touches metric is a metric customer. Uh, and our, our objective is to make sure they have a delightful experience in metric. It is, it is a compliance tool. Um, so it's a little bit tricky to make sure that folks that maybe aren't a huge fan of, of being compliant or compliance uh, have a great experience, but th- that's that's kind of what we aim to do. We also have another customer segment, our third customer segment, which is in many ways just as important as the first two, and that's our that's our integration partners. And so folks that integrate into Metric are able to provide really strong value-add solutions to the ecosystem, whether it's from a point-of-sale perspective, an ERP perspective, uh, a lot of really great companies out there providing data, um, others solving problems. Uh, we have over 650 integrator relationships, and that number keeps growing as people continue to build a really great products to try and support the ecosystem. So you guys have a lot of uh, cloud-based uh, software solutions for the cannabis industry, and I was curious in those early days, like a decade ago. I mean, like banks haven't been the friendliest to cannabis operators. Did you guys? I know that your, your customers are state governments, but even though there's not this federal oversight, do you guys? Did you guys get some pushback from some of the the larger data centers that you guys were contracting to store all this information in? And and kind of talk us through those early days with uh, 
during those conversations and how that all kind of came to be? Yeah, it, it predates me a bit, but you know, a decade ago, you didn't see as much as much in the software space being uh, put in the cloud in the AWS. There was a lot of localized data centers. Um, we use one called Rackspace, which for a period of time was the largest. Uh, we've we've actually migrated recently uh, from Rackspace to our product being in the Microsoft Azure cloud, which is um, which has been a game changer. Um, performance is a very big deal for me. Uh, we brought in a new CTO a few months ago, uh, and we are. We're hyper-focused at trying to improve the speed and the performance of the system. Uh, we expect that that spinning wheel to, to go away and, and get destroyed as, as quickly as possible. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a lot harder than, than it might seem. Um, metric is an enterprise-level tool, which means it's not going to function the same way that Facebook or Instagram is going to function on your phone. Um, for folks that have spent time in Oracle or SAP, uh, typically, it's you, you have a little bit of thinking that happens. They have they have their own spinning wheels. Well, as as we mentioned earlier, our customers, you know, three hundred fifty nine thousand ish of them are, are users, are operators, and and they're um, trying to run their businesses and not necessarily used to the same uh, kind of an environment where an Oracle or an SAP would work. And so it's incumbent upon us, even though we have so much data and are at that same level uh, from a from a, a, a just a simple size perspective. As some of those enterprise solutions, um, it's critical for us to make sure that we are meeting our customers where they're at, and we're trying to buy the very best experience that we can. So a lot harder than you might think because of the the level of uh, data and the volume and the activity that occurs within Metric. Um, that doesn't mean that it's impossible, and certainly something we are on a mission to improve sooner than later. It's got to be an endless battle of trying to scale in front of the demand and the needs, especially as additional states come online and more users come online, because your your team essentially has to be trying to operate in front of everyone else. And as the system continues to scale and the expectations scale, that's an investment in resources and time and infrastructure that is not as easy as just connecting kind of dots mm-hmm. on, on a page. Yeah, it's and it's hard it's hard to think about because most of us aren't in the software space. Most of us yeah. use you know an app or we use a program or we'll use you'll be in Google, you know, send an email and it just happens instantaneously. And uh, the front end, the user experience, is the part that we tend to have the, the most uh, familiarity with and the best relationship with. Metric has spent the vast majority of its existence trying to harden what happens underneath. So the the UI isn't. Uh, I wouldn't describe it as the as the easiest and most intuitive. Um, that's something we're we're very aware of and paying attention to. There's been a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money over many many years trying to harden the back end so that we can handle different things. To give you some perspective. Um, we have one integrator in one state. Actually, we have, well, we have many integrators, but there's there's one that I was just talking to yesterday. That's why it's top of mind. Um, that passes a uh, hundred and or one point five million calls uh, every single day, which means that you're of uh, that's connection into the system, passing information uh, or pulling information out every single day. So you can't just build a system like a simple app that handles something like that. It's very very difficult once you. To, to start to scale something, especially once you get past a certain size, because there's just not that many uh, software programs out there. And, and the way something has to be built to be able to handle that level of volume and 360,000 people you know, kind of plugging away at it every single day is, is very different than, um, than maybe a typical app or something you might use in a day-in and day-out basis. So when you guys design that, I mean, it's, it's kind of... It's got to be really challenging to build an interface for the diverse... Set of operators out in in the cannabis industry. How has that kind of obstacle been 
um, handled by your guys' team from like a customer service perspective? Because you probably have skill sets from I know how to program to I don't know what an Excel sheet looks like, correct? And you have to kind of create a program that fits helps everyone. <laughs> we do, we do. And as difficult as I think um, for some folks, we, we've certainly you know heard, hey, you know, metric doesn't make sense, or I can't figure out how to do something in metric. Um, for other folks, they say it's super simple. Um, and a lot of that's familiarity. And it really is a simple tool. That doesn't mean that it's always simple to navigate inside of. Um, yeah. but it's a simplistic tool. And because there are so many different use cases uh, when you consider state by state, uh, but also when you consider how people do things. It's not like you know there's been 50 years of folks that have uh, gone to college to figure out how to farm cannabis or you know figure out how to distribute cannabis in the legal market at least. Um, and, and run a dispensary in the same way that things happen in campus. It's very different. It's, it's wildly different. The industry really, like I said, only, only around for about a decade. Uh, there's new stuff that we're learning all the time. There's new stuff that the, the states that are coming online are learning and, and certainly folks that are participating. Going to continue to have highs and lows. It's a, it's a bit of a, a bit of a chilly time, especially in, in some of the states that have been around longer than, than others. Uh, and certainly for some of those operators. And unfortunately, those growing pains are, are natural when you think about an industry that is as young as, as cannabis in, in the legal markets is. And uh, our objective is to try and be the very best partner, be the backbone of the, of the legal market, such that folks can, can find their best solutions that fit their exact use case, um, usually from, from one of our integrator partners, uh, but sometimes you know, within metric itself. To try and be successful, um, as I mentioned, we did bring in a new CTO a few months back, and so our number one objective is to is to strengthen and harden our performance such that that spinning wheel goes away and is is gone forever. Uh, number two, after that, is usability, making sure that we're providing the best uh, best experience, best features, so that folks can have a, um, a, a I, I wouldn't say. I don't know if I can say a pleasurable experience with compliance, but at least not a painful experience with compliance. Um, we think the best way to get uh, to, to the highest level of compliance is to make it frictionless. So we're trying to do the very best we can at improving that and supporting all of those different use cases, of which there are many different use cases, state by state and uh, licensee by licensee. Do you think one of the areas that's challenging for some of the users is the fact that there's like some educational gaps in between understanding some of the regulations to be compliant in the steps? Because that has to be kind of a missing piece for newer employees wondering why it has to take these additional steps that metrics asking it to. Do you think that could be an issue? It's 100% an issue. So we have 70 full-time support people. That's half our company. It's crazy. Um, I take support calls. I do not take them all day, but I take them because it's important that, that we know what's happening. Customer service, the customer experience is... Absolutely critical. And so if there's three things I've heard uh, being a part of metric and being in the CEO chair here for you know a handful of months, um, it's number one, support is critical. We need help. Uh, number two, training. We could learn a lot better. And number three, uh, performance, most notably the spinning wheel. Uh, so those are the three areas that I am obsessed with. I mean, maniacally focused like my hair's on fire at, at tackling. And so we can't make better decisions from a support perspective uh, if we're not really going to the front lines and seeing it. So that's why I take calls. Um, and I will tell you, almost every call I've ever taken has nothing to do with metric. It's You think it has something to do with metric, and the folks that call it in think it has something to do with metric. But the reality is it's, it's about the regulation and understanding how something works. And well, why can't I move this package? You know, what requires a test? Well, metric won't let me move it because it's requiring a test. Well, metric won't let you move it because the regulation requires you to test and metric is configured to match the regulations. Now, when you think about 
anything in the in the government um, in and anywhere you've been at when you were probably 16 when you passed your driver's test, right? Ish, give or take. And maybe maybe some of us, I don't know, have had to take you know a couple of those uh, traffic school uh, you know updates, maybe in a, <laughs> a non voluntary way. Um, but outside of that, when when do you find out about changes to the traffic laws? Things change all the time. Uh, you've got different different you know new laws that were passed ten years ago that you know nothing about, and it's not like there's in any aspect of the world there's these educational sessions that everybody's required to go through or take some kind of a quiz or a test except for that one time when you were 16 on what happens with those laws. Similarly, with cannabis, and those laws tend to be a lot newer. You didn't grow up with them. You didn't you know see your parents and everybody else on the road following the same rules. So you don't even know what they are. You go to the state's website, they're written in legalese as rules tend to be, and there's a reason why they're written that way. It's not necessarily the most intuitive. And so even if it is, even if you read it all, that doesn't mean that you know how to pull it together. And so the state, generally speaking, doesn't have a support desk, a help desk. They're there to, to administer the laws, not to explain the laws to everyone. And so we get a lot of questions because we have 70 support people um, about what, why I can't do something or how something works. And, and a lot of it ends up being educational in terms of uh, helping people understand the regulations. A lot of it ends up being educational in terms of how people can actually navigate their businesses inside of the regulations. And in many ways, we we hope and we think we're helping people be compliant, uh, protect public health, and, and ultimately build stronger and more robust businesses. Um, we think that's the case. I'm sure sometimes, and I'm sure some people wouldn't agree, uh, but that's certainly the objective. And, and I feel like that commitment is there when you do a little bit of a better job in terms of execution, a little bit of a better job in terms of providing visibility when there's more complicated tickets uh, and certainly doing a little bit of a better job to be able to provide multiple avenues for people to access our support folks so that you can get the help you need as quickly as possible. When new states come online, do the regulators actually reach out to you guys and be like, hey, we know that you guys have been helping a lot of other markets do this. Like, Do you have any pointers, suggestions? Is there a collaborative relationship that you guys have with the regulators? Or is it kind of like information flows one way and that's the end of it? It's going to depend on the regulator. There's also okay. a lot of um, unique rules about government contracting. And so um, we certainly don't want to violate any of those rules. So we're pretty picky so about um, being thoughtful about reaching out in the right ways, um, reaching out at the appropriate times, not reaching out we're not supposed to. Uh, frequently, public contracts are, are won by RFP, which is a, which is a public process. Uh, and so those have very specific rules. They're very in-depth. There are many hundreds of pages Oddly, but probably not super surprisingly, they're frequently required to be provided in hard copy. And so, you know, you, you go through these different cycles enough times that you, you kind of know where you can step and where you can't. Um, there are a number of scenarios where folks have reached out, um, that are in, that are, you know, trying to regulate non-metric states for guidance. Um, there's a number of scenarios where folks have, have passed legislation and they just need help on, on how they're structuring things. And so, uh, we're gonna. I'll answer any question for any person. I don't care whether it's uh, somebody in a metric state, a non-metric state, a competitor, not a competitor. Uh, our goal is to try and support the the foundations and the um, the rails of that legal market. Uh, we think we can all prosper from that. Um, and there's it's a it's a pretty exciting space, and it's it's a hell of a time to be involved in it. I feel like the RFP puts your team in a really challenging bind, right? You're bidding for the governmental contract, but understanding that kind of like what goes into that from behind the scenes standpoint, but understanding. Your team works with 23 different states. You understand the scaling that needs into it, plus the resources that are expected in order to achieve the delight status that you spoke about. 
is a very complicated balance of wanting to win the contract, but also understanding how to satisfy the demand. So how does your team balance those options? Yeah, and it's, it's actually a third thing as well. It's price. So, I mean, track and trace contracts aren't, um, they're, not the, they're not the most profitable. And so finding ways to, to balance what's desired and needed from the state and then also create something that is, um, that's competitive from a pricing perspective is important. And you kind of look at um, some of the other ways that government software works. Um, there's a, a variety of ways that folks are able to try and eke out a living, but there's a reason why a ton of people don't make government software. It's, it's not... Not there's not a lot of people in uh, very big houses that have built a lot of government software. There's some, um, we, they don't work here. I'll tell you that. Um, but we so we we try and balance it. We want to be profitable. Um, some of our competitors have other offerings and other products, and they're able to generate revenue in in different ways. We don't. We have one, um, and our commitment is kind of kind of uh, tiptoeing that line and making sure that we're providing something that's compliant and working with partners that can provide uh, value add solutions is something that's important to us. Uh, we want to maintain our kind of our our uh, perspective in terms of trying to support the foundation and really get back to our core thesis of being that infrastructure supporting function. Um, and so for us, it creates a big challenge in trying to be profitable. And I think we all are trying to be profitable, and hopefully we'll we'll make some more progress on that um, this year and in the coming years. But also trying to honor what the states are are wanting to accomplish and also being able to, to provide delightful customer service. And um, so as I mentioned, like those the three areas that people are really focused on for metric are the areas where it's hard and it's expensive. And so those that's why that's why it works the way it does, because it's hard and it's expensive to do those things well. And I'm sure there's many things I can I can imagine the feedback on this pretty quickly. Well, it's not hard to pick up the phone. Yeah, it, you're right, it's not. But when you get 10,000 calls a day, sometimes it is. And so we're doing the very best we can to find ways that we can make sure that we're successful, regardless of whether we get 10,000 calls or one call, that every, uh, every person that's interacting with Metric has that delightful experience and, and feels very important because we do value everybody that participates in the Metric ecosystem. Has there been one area that surprised or shocked you that before you took the job, you thought one way and then you know, into the job, you realized completely different than what you originally thought? Yes, I thought that the value that was provided was a little bit clearer to folks. And the reality is, is that I don't think it's not unclear. I think Metric hasn't done a good job at explaining it. We definitely had our fair share of folks that have had their frustrations and you know, shared their perspective on how Metric can be better and sometimes just shared a lot of their perspectives uh, very loudly. <laughs> and I welcome that, right? Because we there's lots of stuff that Metric's done very well at. There's lots of areas where we just haven't. If I don't know it's a problem because people don't tell me it's a problem, then it's really hard for hard for me to know to fix it. The perspective, this kind of laser focus on creating the best government solution, uh, has been really, really strong for the government. Um, we we just need to shore up the other part. And so I was a little bit surprised uh, at some of the some of the conversations with folks, and it really opened up my eyes to uh, the importance of being that trusted partner as folks are kind of navigating the legal cannabis space. I got to give you a ton of credit, right? I, I went into this before we met thinking one thing about you and your team, but then hearing your customer service focus, I think really changed my perspective because essentially you don't have to actually care about the operators the way you're describing it, right? Your government-focused software solution where the operators are forced to use it. And I give you a ton of credit for actually being willing to be in the trenches, to listen to the customers and to figure out ways to help the operators, to help them be more compliant so that they can be educated and understanding what they need to do in order to be compliant. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think we have to care about all the users, but but the contracts with the state, 
right? Our contract's not with the users. And so um, we can we can certainly turn a blind eye to that. That's that's a that's a really short sighted kind of a kind of a, an approach. Um, it it's it would be great if um, and and we've actually been very fortunate uh, in some of the last few states we've won. We've gotten some really excellent feedback. Like yes, metric one, like we're we're going to be able to you know kind of have some that that great foundation, that great infrastructure that will underpin our market. Um, tremendous feedback from New Jersey. I I, I was actually. Um, quite surprised. Now, of course, I've been quite surprised in the other way as well. So um, we need to do the very best we can to make metric desired, not required, and to um, find a way to make compliance frictionless and to find opportunities, little pockets uh, of areas where we can we can surprise and delight. Our superpower is the ability to be able to give folks that reliable single source of truth and to have that um, visibility in a closed-loop supply chain that frankly doesn't exist anywhere else on the planet. So with, uh, say, New Jersey, right? Were you guys in New Jersey as a track-and-trace system for their medical market? And if so, is that transition easier to launch kind of the recreational software solution that Metric provides versus the medicinal software solution? Yeah, it, well, medical and adult use are very different. We tend to partner with folks that are excellent from a patient licensing perspective and, and really can help um, make sure that all of the medical requirements are covered. Um, they're experts at that, you know, and we have, we have tremendous appreciation for their partnership. Uh, for, for New Jersey, it was a bit of a bit of a, a different path from medical to adult use. So um, it, was, it was a little bit of a leaner medical program than you see in other states. And so adult use um, certainly enables uh, much more of a broad representation of legal cannabis in that state. Uh, we were not uh, part, I think we had, uh, we're not a formal part, I would say, of the of the medical program there in, in New Jersey. And this predates me a little bit. So I, I apologize for um, for any ambiguity. Uh, but we are, we, we kicked off our program as if it's a, a brand new program uh, in, in New Jersey for adult use. Um, and it's going well. I mean, it's new. Right, every every state's gonna have its speed bumps, and and every time you do anything new at all of any kind, it's gonna have its speed bumps. But uh, we're we're really proud, and with great partners in New Jersey, uh, and we we feel really strongly that New Jersey is going to be one of the stronger markets as it continues to mature. As states make adjustments in their regulations, the expectation is internally your team has to make adjustments in the software. Is that is that correct? Yes, and sometimes those uh, adjustments happen very rapidly, and yeah. so just because. Yeah, expand, expand, expand on how how challenging something like that is when like a change comes down and the expectation internally is that the software has to be deployed out, changes have to be made, it has to be arced out, and it has to be then scaled. It's not just us, right? It, we're we're a domino in a very long string of dominoes, um, and so even the regulatory agencies in in a given state do not necessarily control all of the changes to to statutes, and so if something passes. Uh, in a particular state government, and it could be affected very rapidly, uh, that could require metric to be, you know, sometimes things pass in the state within 30 days, within 45 days. Well, software doesn't work that way. It's just like houses don't, you know, don't get built overnight. And so some of these changes are not insignificant. Um, we get changes in, it's not uncommon for us to get changes in the middle of December that are effective on 1-1. Uh, and so that happened in a couple of states this year. And so what happens is we have to make the changes. And of course, you know, we have we have folks that, have planned holidays, and we've, we don't have a huge team. Um, we have a, a decent-sized team, a really good, strong, scrappy team. Um, but it's not like I have. We just have this endless bench of people that we can pull in on December twenty-third to, you know, to to make some fundamental changes to the system. And so, um, so it definitely happens. Uh, we want to be the best partners we can. 
We try and get the information. We try and get it. Uh, we try and get the best solution we can in place as quickly as possible. And then, more importantly, uh, make sure that folks are aware of what that means because you could not pay attention to any of the changes, not be aware of it. Again, no one's going to school. They're not getting an email. So I'm explaining to you line by line that this rule changed this week, and now you have to have to do some different things in your business. Uh, so we need to make sure that we're doing the best we can to educate folks that are that are in whatever states impacted. And we need to work with our third-party integrator partners. The 650 uh, different organizations may have to also make very, very fundamental changes to their software system and their integration into metric. So there's a lot that happens very quickly. Um, it tends to be a bit frustrating for folks. Um, it's it's certainly frustrating. It's frustrating for many of our states that are coming up with the rules because they sometimes have to be reacted to the forces in the states. Uh, it's certainly frustrating for for the folks that are operating to kind of have to adapt and adjust. And it's frustrating for folks that are trying to build their systems to be able to adapt and adjust. And one and of you guys just get to sit in the middle. We do. We're a domino. <laughs> But I think the one thing that I think it's not clear, but I, I want to bring up is that that is just one state, right? You're in 23 states. So potentially yeah. there could be multiple states causing multiple changes at the same time. And the expectation is that your team needs to react likely quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we have, we've done a decent job, I think, at that at times and, and other times we haven't. Uh, and it's, it's not easy. And I'm certainly not asking for, for anybody to have any empathy. That's our job. That's what we signed up for. Um, but it is it is certainly more challenging than might meet the eye. All right, let's do a a new segment called "Ask the Internet." <laughs> <laughs> I just made that up, Michael. Why is California's cannabis track and trace data statutory exempt from the Public Records Act, with access limited exclusively to the state's cannabis licensing agency and tax agency and law enforcement by request? That is a question for the state of California. We don't have anything to do with that. We don't um, create the rules. We don't create the laws. Um, there's certainly a number of unique reasons why I, I'm sure California felt that way, but I'd be speculating. There's a lot of limitation in data in every state that has a program. Um, and, and I'm sure they all have unique reasons as to why uh, we do the best we can to support the agency, support the industry, and uh, help facilitate compliance in a, in a strong uh, legal market protecting public health. Why keep a system in a recreational market that was originally created for medical? We don't need to track beer sales, right? So why cannabis? Well, I mean, it, it was created for medical. I mean, lots of software programs are created for different reasons, and then there's different flavors. Uh, I mean, cannabis needs to be tracked. There's challenges in the market. I mean, protecting public health is a real issue. There's in every single state, whether it's a metric state or not. There's been uh, different recalls. There's been scenarios where um, there's been challenges to enforcing public health. There's been a lot of issues as it relates to um, building a really strong, a legitimate market that requires the level of visibility uh, that metric affords. It's about protecting public health, keeping people safe. And beer sales is not really the best comparison because, first of all, that's it's not something that grows out of the ground. Uh, of course, there's certainly agricultural elements associated with it. Um, but there's a variety of different elements in cannabis that create um, some unique nuances in protecting public health, protecting children, um, protecting folks that might not appreciate all of the elements of cannabis, the psychoactive effects. Um, they, we absolutely need to do the very best we can. That's really the only way that we're going to help build a sustainable legal market um, is, is one that people can rely on and have confidence in. Uh, cannabis is a tremendous opportunity, but just like any opportunity, it can go, it can go a couple different ways. 
uh, track and trace visibility and protecting public health and public trust is stalwart in terms of making sure that it is a sustainable and successful industry for many years to come. Yeah, and I also want to just say that uh, beer is legal federally and cannabis is not. And if we want to continue to change the cultural stigma associated with cannabis, we don't need a state that has an adult use market that isn't keeping track of what is being manufactured in that state to then transport said product to another state that isn't doesn't have a recreational market. Uh, I just want to throw that in there. So. <laughs> Transparency and visibility. This is a pretty specific question. Best easiest and compliant way to add new genetics to metric? Uh, I'd have to talk you through it. I'm not going to answer this directly because I have to kind of walk you through it. Um, <laughs> I will tell you, this is an area that we pay really close attention to. As cannabis is federally illegal, the uh, ability to patent your different uh, crosses and uh, different plants with different genetic makeup is certainly something that's important. There's a ton of mom and pop shops, folks that really, really spend a ton of time uh, honing their craft, developing these these special strains, um, and then they're at risk of people taking them or copying them. And that's something that, uh, at, from a compliance perspective, is an area that we pay close attention to because it's usually protected somewhere else, and it's not. So how do we help partner with folks? How do we give them the best information? Uh, how do we make sure that the industry overall is protected? So these are different areas. Uh, this is an example of an area that we've spent time talking uh, with some of our regulatory partners with um, certainly heard a lot of a lot of complaints, uh, a lot of fear out of folks that um, feel like they've developed something incredible. And you know, as soon as they get on the market or you know somebody breaks in and steals a plant, that's a big problem. And so we want to we want to be thoughtful of that. Uh, and this is really just one very small example of how we're trying to think of value add opportunities to support the legal compliant market. Will that help with their patent application? Will they be able to like reference them in putting that genetics as like uh, um, some sort of evidence to support their patent in the future? Is that kind of where your head's at? I am not a patent attorney, so <laughs> I can answer. I hear anything I'm saying is, uh, <laughs> as, as legal advice. I would hope that I would think based on what I know about patents, we have ten. Um, that any any evidence of something existing in the world uh, earlier than later is is helpful. It's meaningful. Smart. Uh, whether or not that's going to be meaningful enough to secure somebody a patent or not, I can't provide that perspective. But we want to do the best we can to support folks in any way possible. And this is certainly something that's come up. That's a beautiful answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> is your team tracking any data? Have they found any trends? And are you planning on releasing a published peer review paper in the future? That's an excellent question. So we... The data is not ours. The data belongs to the state. It belongs to you as the consumer, and it belongs to the different licensee. Um, there are different scenarios where any of those different stakeholders has asked us to spend time in the data, and we certainly spend time in the data as it relates to trying to improve the product or to improve the customer experience. In terms of a peer-reviewed paper, I don't know that. We have gotten a number of... Uh, over the years, there's been a number of different um, reviews and uh, uh, papers um, that have been reviewed um, that dig into some of the effects of um, metric in a market that's legal without metric, um, metric in in regards to how the legal market processes things. Um, but the data for us is not something that we're going to share without anybody's permission. Uh, we we very, very much value um, our customers, um, both state and users. And we're certainly not out here trying to um, peddle that data. If people would like to make their data available for research projects and whatnot, we're certainly happy to partner with those folks, assuming we get the proper permission. 
Are there any plans to alter the current API or the constant issues of the uptime that's uh, a constant request by others? So API for metric um, is actually completely free. And that's an interesting thing because the API itself is, well, A, it's an extremely rare thing. For us, the API is a little bit more basic than you would typically hope kind of a world-class API would be. And again, that comes back to the economics of it. And so there are a number of integrators that have requested very specific uh, either endpoints or access or um, webhooks are very common. And so we've definitely begun partnership with, with some folks on developing that. Uh, we call it Metric Connect. Um, we're certainly uh, working with folks. It's actually been beta tested uh, with more than 10 API integrators. Uh, we expect that to grow and we expect people to continue to get that opportunity if they want. Um, Metrics API will always have a free option. The vast majority of folks um, should should never pay for access to Metrics API. But if you want things that are above and beyond what we would consider kind of the the norm, um, we certainly want to give you that option as well. And then for the uptime, so Metrics uptime is actually quite good. The difference between uptime and I think what the question is probably asking is kind of what we refer to as functional uptime. And so the product itself being up um, and the product moving at the pace that you expect is not necessarily the same thing. The latter is what I'm mostly concerned about, right? If the product's not performing at the pace of your business, then it's not performing the way that that we expect it to be. Uh, and so that's the effort that we're really focused on. Um, that doesn't mean that there hasn't been outages. Of course, there are. But um, generally speaking, when folks are speaking uh, about challenges with uptime, they're talking about timeouts and how long things take. The system is still technically up. It's just not performing at the same uh, the same level that that we aspire to, and so there has been dramatic improvements over the last handful of months, uh, especially uh, since we made the migration to Azure. Certainly moves um, quite a bit faster, um, but we're not done. And there's a lot more opportunity to in- improve performance and to ensure that people have that delightful experience in Metric. And we are, I, I, again, I cannot stress how committed we are to that. Are there any assets, efforts, or strategies you wish people paid more attention to? Yes. So there's a lot of folks that that will talk about metric as it relates to um, kind of a compliance element, and they forget or miss this massive goldmine they have in front of them in RFID. And so folks that are struggling to make money, or you spend, you think you spend too much money on people, or you need too many resources probably not taking advantage of RFID. Whether it's automated inventory counting, whether it's um, location and tracking of uh, nutrients that you're putting into plants, or how much water, or what location they're in, um, or looking at the yields on a per-plant basis. It is incredible. And a lot of, say, a lot of people say that it's just too much. It takes too long. The, I mean, it takes less than four seconds to, to go through an entire process from a manual process uh, of, of weighing a plant if you're using an RFID-enabled scale. Um, and if I have you know a room of 100 plants, they're just not all going to end up yielding the same amount. And if for for many growers, getting 10 more grams per plant would be could be the difference between you know bankruptcy and being wildly successful. Uh, that level of visibility and that data exists. It's there. It's passively collected. It's cheap. You already have the. I mean, the most expensive part is the is the inlay and the tag. If you had a similar RFID tag that wasn't a metric tag, but it was had like the similar specifications, you would pay three times as much in market. You have this amazing opportunity to to get this information, to be very successful, and to be at the cutting edge of efficiency as it relates to your operation. Again, grow operation, distribution, 
uh, producing, manufacturing, whatever it is, uh, folks just don't take enough advantage of RFID and it really is a game changer. What's the first step in like a smart factory? You know what I mean? It is, yeah. I mean, and folks say, uh, and first of all, you already have the tag on there. So that's usually like the biggest thing. Like, I have to. Sense. But the, the fact that you've got the tag, I mean, the, the amount of money saved and the, the fewer steps and fewer processes and the greater visibility, it's just incredible. It's such a gold mine. What's a feature request you get a lot, but you'll never build? We get a lot of questions about things that our partners do. So like ERPs, can we just add this one feature? And we're not an ERP. And I don't intend to go out and sell things to, to retailers or cultivators. Perhaps that day would come, but that's not really our focus. Our focus is trying to create that strong foundational element. Uh, we certainly recommend that folks connect with, with the integration partners. We're not trying to compete with our integration partners. We're trying to create a better foundation so that they can be successful and provide meaningful uh, opportunities for the industry. When you started your journey in the cannabis industry, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? Uh, what I got right is uh, I thought, I was like, all right, it's cannabis. It's just software though. It's fine. It's just a different product. That was right. It is just software. And, and we can say that it's different and, and it is. There's so many nuances with cannabis. But at the end of the day, the normal tenants of software build a good product make it reliable for people and delight your customers is the same regardless of the industry. Uh, and so I got that right. I think that's a universal truth and it's certainly been proven out. But what I got wrong is folks, I think that the effort to demonstrate how we can we can make compliance easier for folks, I, I kind of thought that would be a little bit a little bit simpler. And a lot of the challenges are things that I just didn't I didn't fully appreciate. The complexity inside the industry, inside the state, inside the counties. And there's rules that are different county by county. There's rules that are different inside of a city that's inside of a county that's inside of a state. And, and depending on where you're at, any of those three, the rules are different. So you just don't know those things in the same way that you do when you actually live them day in and day out. That was uh, perfectly said. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? Uh, find ways to think about the long the long game, right? Even in your, I mean, this has been a hell of a hell of a year. Uh, I guess the past twelve ish months for folks in the cannabis space, it's very challenging for some folks at least to to survive and to find ways to keep their business going. I think about the long game, and you know, there's definitely dark days. There's definitely you know days when the sun comes out, and the sun certainly always comes out after the dark days. Uh, we've had a lot of challenges here. I know, I know, a lot of our customers have had challenges. I try and think about the long game and also try not to get too hung up on kind of the individual ups and downs and nuances. I mean, I had great news when I came in today. I had not so great news right after that. And then great news, uh, great news again. So the ebbs and flows will eat you alive if you, uh, if you let them. And so um, pay attention to the long game. I do believe that Metric is doing everything possible to support uh, the success of the long game by creating this solid infrastructure uh, where both consumers and non-consumers alike can have confidence in the legal ecosystem and in cannabis coming to their communities. Prediction time. Michael, if you can instantly change any aspects of operating in cannabis to get metric from being desired, not just required, what would you change? Outside of cannabis or in, inside of metric? Operating inside cannabis. So anything that metric can, can help influence to make operating in cannabis industry not just being desired but required. Yeah, I'd put metric in every state. It'd be a lot easier if metric was in every state and we create that standard because the state rules and regulations will always be different. Uh, just as one of the questions was about beer, 
the rules and regulations in, you know, in, in liquor and beer are different everywhere, every county. I mean, I, I don't know if it's still true, but it was true for a long time that you couldn't buy Jack Daniels in the county for which it was distilled. Rules are always going to change. They're always going to be like that. Uh, if you have a standard that pulls kind of everything together and takes this noise and distills it into the standard that's common across the states, then you get into a situation where everybody's speaking the same language, everybody's compliant in the same kind of way. Uh, you really open the door to that kind of holy grail, at least uh, I think a lot of states in the West are feeling, which is interstate commerce. And even further beyond that, as you pay attention to what's happening in Europe, uh, being able to export from the United States into Europe is going to be massive for the industry. Uh, and the best way to do that is to, is to create a standard. And so I would say, you know, that those annoyances, when you rely on those annoyances of compliance to, to be able to really grow your business at a way that you otherwise didn't have the opportunity, well, then it, it feels a lot more uh, desired than required. Colin. I mean, I think Michael said it perfectly. I think that the change is creating a universal system of regulation, right? It's challenging if you're working for an MSO and say you're running the lab or manufacturing site in Illinois, and then you go over to Oregon, and then you got to visit the site down in California, and you're dealing with very technical conversations associated with trying to achieve outcomes of product development. And then to throw another caveat in there, you also have to adjust your procedure based on what is allowed from a regulatory perspective in each one of those states, which then doesn't help create universal products across state lines and kind of uh, snowballs into this larger problem within the industry. So I think that at the end of the day, global framework for con- that everyone can follow is going to be the most beneficial. Um, what do you think, Brian? I mean, it's incredibly challenging, right? Your team needs to scale out in front of the industry's needs to anticipate these these ideas that are coming online, but also be flexible enough with the regulators that make these changes to implement the changes quickly and swiftly, but also then provide the education to the clients of the software so that they're aware of the changes and the hurdles that go into it, all within this really finite balance early in an industry. It's incredibly complex and a very, very challenging game. And Michael, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to learn more about Metric and they want to speak to you directly. I know you're pretty open. Where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me anytime. Feel free to email me anytime. Um, Michael.Johnson at Metric.com. I'm fairly, uh, fairly active at LinkedIn. Uh, Metric is available at Metric.com. Uh, we've got a lot of new folks in the last year. We kind of shifted our, our focus. So uh, there's some folks in the field. There's outreach. Uh, any questions, anything we can do better, uh, any way we can be stronger, please don't hesitate to reach out. I don't think I hear enough. Um, we really are committed to doing the very best we can. I appreciate it. I'll link it up on the show. And thanks for taking the time. This was fun. Thank you. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. 
Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.